Hey, welcome everybody. So glad to have you here at South City Church. Yeah, for those of you watching on YouTube, you missed it. You should have been here. People are talking about it. So uh, uh, it's so good to, to be with you. My name is Jared, one of the lead pastors here. And we are in the middle of a teaching series called Jesus Said. And when I say that, you have to say, what? Real loud. So I say, we're in a teaching series called Jesus Said. What? And we're, that's really good. That's like the best one all day. And we're, we're looking at the, the tricky and complicated teachings of Jesus to look for the deeper spiritual truth that he had that, that I, maybe we missed or we never even paid attention to. We're all familiar with, like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? First shall be last, last shall be first, like that kind of stuff. But we're looking at stuff that Jesus said that is, is complex and complicated. And today, we're going to look at something that may have actually been a part of your life for a long time or maybe been around your life at some level, but... Maybe you missed the deeper meaning of what Jesus was teaching, what he said when he invited us into it. So uh, to get to that, I want to ask you a question about uh, your life and your week and do a little confession on my end. Um, is, did anyone here have, like, does your week this last week just feel full, maybe even a little overwhelming? Would anyone like be willing to go to church and just say, yeah, I just felt out of control. It was too much. It was insane this last week. Okay, how about this? In the last month, has anyone felt overwhelmed or stressed or out of yeah, A lot of us do, right? I mean, for, for me personally, this last week, I, I finished preaching here on Sunday and then literally we went straight to a staff retreat up, up in Wisconsin and it was an incredible time, but we drove straight from church to there. Incredible time but then drove back from that staff retreat and went straight back to the church to teach our Bible course on Tuesday night. I mean, barely even got time to change. So back here on Tuesday night, and then I had to do all the normal stuff like work and meetings and making sure everything was ready for this weekend. And then there's all of our kids stuff on top of that. Oh, and one small wrench in this last week. Our kids were not in school this entire week, and they're living like they've never been to school before in their life, ever. And I want to be really clear. We stand with our teachers here in Chicago. We love and support our teachers unapologetically. That is so clear to us. But I got to get these kids out of this house. I don't care where they go. Can we please resolve this thing so that our kids can get out of the house and also back into school and learning things, but mostly out of the house. Uh, so it was a crazy week. I felt so, I just felt like I could barely keep up with all that was going on, that there was no margin for anything else. And I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way from time to time. Life can feel at times so full and so overwhelming. And the crazy thing is, is there's no less hours in the day, no less days in the month, right? But somehow our life just feels more full. And this isn't just a unique thing to us here in this church. 61% uh, of Americans say that in a recent survey, said that they don't have enough time to get everything that needs to get done, done in a week. 61% said there's not enough time to get it all done in a week. This is crazy to me. 75% of Americans say that in the last month, they have felt high levels of stress. Not just like some stress. High levels. Three out of four people, most of the people in your aisle, have felt high levels of stress in this last month. There was a Pew Research report done this last year that found of American families, so those who have kids in the home. This is incredible. They found that the average American family spends 37 minutes of meaningful time together a day. 37 minutes, that's it. Because we're just running all over the place and running our lives ragged. And so you've got to think when, you, when it comes to understanding just kind of the moment that we live in, 
And then you think about God, and where does God fit into all? Like, where does God fit into all that? And maybe you found yourself asking a, a question like this one, maybe your own words, but basically, like, how do I how do I get God into all that I've got going on? Where does God even fit? Like, you've done a lot by coming here today. That's significant, right? Or if you're listening or watching online, that's significant. But I'm talking about our everyday lives. How do I get God into all that I've got going on? How do I incorporate an awareness of God in my everyday life? How do I make time for God? How do I have a relationship with God in my everyday, often overwhelming life? Or maybe think of it this way. How do I not get to the end of my day or the end of my week or the end of my life and miss God? Miss God in the everyday. Miss God in even the ordinary moments. If you've ever struggled with that or wrestled with how to get God into all that you've got going on, here's the good news. Jesus has a plan for that. He already thought about you. He already thought about that. He already knew how we get and where we go. And Jesus gives us an invitation that is simultaneously as shocking as it is simple. It's both spiritual and physical all at once. And it involves something that maybe you've done, like I said earlier, for many years or maybe you're familiar with at the very least, but might have missed the meaning or significance behind it. Something we do regularly here at Soul City Church. In fact, it's something we're going to do today. And I don't want you to miss what was behind the heart of what Jesus taught us and invited us into. So I would love for you to grab a Bible, and I would love for you to turn to John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you, if you've got it on your phone, perfect. If not, there should be a Soul City Bible looks just like this underneath your seat, or if you're up in the balcony, it should have been on the armrest. You've already saw it. Uh, you can turn to page 866 in the Soul City Bible. That'll get you right there. Eight, page 866 will get you to John chapter 6. Let me give you some quick context as to where we're coming at in the life and the story of Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of a significant moment in his ministry. Two big things happen in John chapter 6 before the passage that we get to today. The first thing is Jesus feeds the 5,000. Have you ever heard that story before? And it was actually more than that. The 5,000 was just referring to the men. They just counted the men in that day down at the patriarchy. But they had thousands of people who had no food. And there Jesus was teaching. And he performed the largest miracle at scale that he had done at that point where he just fed them all from one little kid's lunch. This is, this is like a massive, instant, miraculous moment. Like Grubhub could wish and dream to have that kind of delivery time. It just was there. It was just waiting for him, right? Powerful moment. So the crowd goes nuts, and they, they're like, oh my gosh, who is this man? He has these deep words, and he also fed us lunch. Let's see what else he's got in mind. And Jesus knew that the crowds really had something else in mind for him. They wanted to make him king, and that wasn't the plan that God had established. And so Jesus pulls away with his disciples and he sends them off in a boat. He puts them in a boat and he says, listen, go meet me on the other side. I'm going to meet you over there. And so they go off and in the middle of the night while they're kind of crossing over to the other side, Jesus comes walking across on the water. It's another major moment that Jesus is just like, oh, what, this? No, it's not a big deal. He's walking across the water, invites Peter to join him out there. Maybe you're familiar with that story. So do you get, like, this is a, like, this chapter, John chapter 6, has a lot going on before we get to the passage that we get to. And so when Jesus finally gets to the other side, the next day, all these crowds made their way, walked all the way around just to hear him again, just to be near him again. And let's be honest, they wanted him to do it again. 
And let's be really, really honest. They wanted him to do it for them again, right? What else has he got for us? And so Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, like the church, in their day. And in the middle of Jesus' teaching, this, I mean, after like thousands of people just gathered around Jesus. And so when you're, if you were having a moment like that, if you were Jesus, just trying to imagine that for a second, if you were Jesus and having a moment like that, the last thing you would want to do to ruin all this good PR momentum is to say something off-brand, right? Or to say something offensive that might offend the crowds. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So I'm going to read this passage, and when I get to the end of it, I'm going to say, Jesus said, and you're going to say, what? Okay, but like you mean it. So I'm going to say, Jesus said, and then you're going to say, what? Exactly. Let's look at what Jesus had to say at the height of momentum of his ministry. After these incredible miracles and teachings, this is what Jesus says, John 6, 53. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh uh-oh, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You imagine the disciples are like, did he just, did he just say... Did he just say, eat my flesh? No, this probably, we just misunderstood him. There's an echo in here. Oh, okay. Nope. He doubles down and says it again. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever, just in case anyone in the back missed it, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Wait a second. Jesus said, like, what did you just say, Jesus? Eat your flesh. Drink your blood. You've got to be, you've got to be kidding. There must be some kind of other meaning here going on. Like, just imagine how shocking that must have been. Like, think about it. If I were to say to you, Soul City, for those of you who really want to go to the next level with God, we want to give you an opportunity to show your devotion. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to start wearing the same outfits together. We just think that's a cool way for this city to see that we're all a part of this church and what God's doing here. So from here on out, we're all going to wear the same uniform. It's ripped, skinny, black jeans and a black t-shirt. We're all... Now, you might think to yourself, isn't that what... Yeah, isn't that what you guys already do? Like, that's not that weird. You guys kind of already do that. But you might think, I don't think we should all be wearing the same outfits. That feels weird. And then if I were to say to you the next week, Soul City, listen, for those of you who really want to level up with God, I've got something for you. I, we have purchased a huge condo building, and we're all going to move in together. We're all going to live in the same... Won't that be great? Like, we won't have to go to church. We'll just all be church in the same condo building. We'll all be wearing the same outfits, and we'll all be living in the same building. You might start to think to yourself, ah, uh, this sounds like a cult, right? And <laughs> rightly so. But then if I were to say to you the next week, Soul City, thank you so much for wearing the uniform. So glad for those of you who got into the condo building. Listen, I want to let you know, I, this is just not for everyone, but those who are super spiritual after the service today, anyone who wants can come take a bite out of my arm. Just come take a bite out. No, like if you really want to get close to God, take a bite and then we're going to get the blood and you can drink it. Okay. Gross, right? What you're feeling right now, you should be feeling. That's weird. And you should run if I ever say that. Right? So can you imagine how it must have felt for the disciples when Jesus was doing this? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? And I can just imagine one of them just going, oh, hold on, Jesus. Jesus is going to take a quick five real quick. Um, Peter, tell him about the time you walked on the water. And then just huddling up with Jesus and be like, Jesus, 
you gotta like ixnay on the vampire and cannibalism stuff. Like, it's not working. You offended a lot of people. In fact, lots of people have already left. We just got some angry emails from parents. They did not like their kids hearing this kind of talk. Jesus, come on. Can't you just tell them like one of those parables that everyone loves but no one understands? Just tell them one of those. That'll keep the crowd going, right? But Jesus knew exactly, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, this is what it really, really means to follow me. And guess what happened? That day, the text tells us, thousands of people stopped following Jesus. So many, in fact, left him in this moment, right after the text that we just read. So many walked away, hit the unfollow button, canceled Jesus, didn't want to hear him anymore. So many people that Jesus eventually, later on in John chapter 6, looks at his closest followers and friends, his disciples, who had left everything to follow him. And he looks in the eyes and says, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? Because he's drawn a line in the sand. He's trying to help us get what it really takes to follow him. He was showing us what it was actually really all about, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. See, what, what Jesus knew more than we often do, what Jesus was getting at with this very stark illustration, what Jesus knew more than we do is that what uh, goes in me, right, in my life, is what comes out of me. True? What goes in me is what comes out of me. It just doesn't work any other way. Like for those of you who, has anyone here ever eaten healthy before? Like more than for one meal, right? You know, like where you went out with your vegan friend and you ate healthy for one meal. I mean, like, what if you really, like for those of you who ate like for a sustained period of time, healthy food, don't you notice when you begin to eat healthy like that, you begin to make other healthy choices in your life, right? You begin to pay attention to how you spend your time, your energy. You go, maybe start working out or you're going to bed earlier, making sure you get all your sleep, drinking all your water. That comes out of you because of one thing that you decided to put in you, healthy food. And then these healthy habits begin to come out of you, right? And at the very least, we've all seen the opposite to be true, right? You put kind of junk food or garbage into you, it comes out of you sometimes, literally, like it just comes out of you. And you feel it though, you feel it in your life. And that's what Jesus knew that we often miss is that if you're going to ever be a follower of hers, of his, you have to literally put him in you. You have to take Jesus in, that it's actually true. I am what I eat and I am what I drink. And if I want to get God into all that I have got going on, then I'm going to have to literally ingest his life, digest his way regularly until his life becomes my life and begins to flow out of me, until his way becomes my way and begins to show up in my everyday life, that this following of Jesus is not just a thing of the head, and it's not even just a thing of the heart, that it's like a thing of, of the guts, you know, like the truth of who you are. Remember when Jesus said, he's quoting an Old Testament passage, and he said, that, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, all of you. And so what he's saying here is, yeah, it takes all of me in all of you for it to come out of you. That's what Jesus, and he's using stark language to help us get that, but that's what he's getting at here. So is it any wonder given this moment that all these folks unfollow Jesus, that he would come back to this language, this imagery, with his closest friends and followers, right before his body would actually be broken, 
right before his blood would actually be poured out on a cross, that he actually meant what he said. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that Bible and go back a couple pages to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, it's page 826 in the Soul City Bible. Page 826 in the Soul City Bible. We'll get you to Mark chapter 14. Where's the context here in Mark 14? We are at what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, right? You've seen the painting. You're familiar with this moment. This is just hours before Jesus was falsely arrested and ultimately led to trial and then to a cross ultimately to an empty tomb. It was God's plan all along, but this is a significant moment. And so the text tells us that he's gathered around a table. He prepared a place for his friends for this last meal like this that they would have together. And what does Jesus draw them back to? Mark 14, verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. This is my what? This is my body. Take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, yep, and this is my blood. This is the blood of the covenant, the promise of God, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Do you think any of them in that moment had a flashback to Jesus' teaching in the synagogue where he lost all those fans and followers. And going, wait a second, he really means it. He really means this body and this blood, this bread and this cup. There's more going on here. So let me just, by show of hands, how many of you uh, have ever taken what we call communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper? How many of you have ever taken communion before, just at some point in your life? I would venture to say, just given kind of whether you grew up in church or not, or you've been to a wedding or someone, you know, important celebration in someone's life, you know, at church, you've probably taken communion, right? I grew up taking communion. I grew up around church, and I, there have been many times of receiving those elements, the bread and the cup, that have been very meaningful to me. But if I were to be really honest with you, I didn't really get the meaning of it. It was meaningful, but I didn't know the meaning behind it. And some of this is understandable for lots of us. If you don't totally understand the meaning behind it, it's because we have massively overcomplicated this spiritual act, right? And think about just all the different ways that you can receive communion. You know, there's like the classic little bread, little cup, right? There's that. Then there's also the wafers. Anyone ever had the wafers before, like little Necco wafers for just only made for church? Um, there's that way to do it. There is a form called intinction, which is your big word for the day, where you take the bread and you dip it in the cup, you know, and so you pass the cup along. There's another way that some churches do it where everyone drinks from the same cup. Gross. Um, <laughs> there's that way of doing it. There's the self-serve where you just kind of do it yourself. You come up and grab it. Or there's the go see the guy in front way where you have to have the person actually serve it to you. There's lots of different ways to do it, which is understandable why it might be confusing or why you might not get the meaning. In fact, there's a legendary story of President Reagan who, despite some evangelical lore around him, was self-admittedly not a very religious man. And so there's actual film footage of this where he was in a church service and the way that they were doing communion that day is everyone has a piece of bread, they pass the cup down the aisle and they you know, dip the bread in the cup and they take it. And when it got to President Reagan, he, I, apparently he wasn't paying attention or didn't know what was going on. So the cup came to him and he just kind of looked around and just drank the whole thing right there. And then just sort of handed it to the next guy, like, oh, this one's on you. I don't know what to do. Maybe some more juice will trickle down. I have no idea exactly 
what to do next. And I love it because it's just so honest. It can be so confusing, mostly, though, because we've overcomplicated it. We've taken this shocking and visceral and meaningful spiritual practice and have gotten religious with it. We've put in all kinds of rules and, and regulations around it, and we've formalized it and said who can do it and who can't do it and where it has to be done and how often it has to be done. I mean, I remember years ago, Jeannie and I were serving together in Mexico, and we were, came to a service, and we wanted to serve communion, but we didn't have bread and cup with us. And so they're like, well, we have some tortillas and some Fanta. We're like, that'll do. That's, I mean, we'll just have to, that will do, because the, it's the spirit of the thing that we're supposed to get. And the symbolism is actually rich and meaningful. Think about the symbolism that Jesus chose when he, when he took bread. Bread played an incredibly important role in the life of those followers of Jesus and their culture growing up. You know, it was, it was bread that God provided the people of God as they uh, left Egypt or rescued out of Egypt and made their way to the promised land. When there was nothing to eat in the wilderness, God literally let this type of bread, it's called manna, fall every morning, and they were able to get enough just for the day. So important to their story that God is their sustainer and their provider, this miraculous gift from him, right? And throughout all kinds of Jewish feasts and festivals, bread was almost always a part of it. There was leavened bread and unleavened bread. At the table, there was always bread. And so when Jesus comes along early on in his ministry and says, I am the bread of life. I satisfy. I am what God has been baking up from the very beginning of human history. I'm the bread of life. It has incredible meaning. And in the same way, the, the cup has, has deep meaning. Wine has deep meaning. Now you think about in that culture, in that day, it was an arid climate in the Middle East, and so water is at a premium. And so the, it wasn't always easily accessible. And so lots of times the substitute for water at the table was, anyone want to guess? Wine, because it's can easily, you could get grapes and you could make wine that way. And there's fermented wine, which is like the stuff we drink, and unfermented wine, which is basically grape juice. And it was often always at the table. But it's even deeper than that because it goes back to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, where at uh, several different celebrations and um, services to, to remember all that God had done, they would pour out a drink offering. They would pour the wine out on the altar to remind themselves of God's covering over their life, God's love for them over their life. And in fact, again, early on in the life and ministry of Jesus, he said unapologetically and incredibly clear, he said, I'm a new kind of wine. And if you try and pour new wine into old wineskins, it doesn't work. The whole thing falls apart. In other words, the new covenant doesn't work in the old covenant's shell. It just doesn't work that way anymore. There's a new way. And so this is incredibly significant that Jesus chose wine to represent his blood, bread to represent his body. And for those of you wondering, wow, does he really actually have real wine? Yeah. I do. And I've been practicing this talk all morning. Um, that's a joke. Jeannie told me to make sure I tell you that that's a joke. That is a joke. That is a joke. But it is real wine. And the significance behind all of this is because at, at, at the center of Jewish culture in their day was the table. The table was actually the center. And around the table, family and friends, neighbors, community 
would share in their everyday lives. The table was incredibly important. Tables at the center. And at the center of every table was always, was always bread and wine. It, in fact, so common, it was so common that you barely even thought about it. You didn't even really notice it. And that's why Jesus takes it so powerfully. He takes something so common and gives it such deep complexity and spiritual meaning. What he does in that moment is he, he takes the physical, just as bread and wine, right? He takes the physical and makes it spiritual. He says there's so much more here than just bread and wine. And what I love that he does by not just sort of making the physical spiritual, he actually makes the spiritual physical. And he says, yeah, this is, this is a part of how you get me in you, is you remember this, you do this, you take this bread, you take this cup actually in. That's the invitation, to actually take Jesus in regularly, daily if needed, to be physically reminded of the spiritual indwelling. That means that coming into, that filling up of, that Jesus does when we say yes to him. That he actually is indwelling all things, including bread and wine, and you, and me. And that's what we're invited into. That's a powerful thing. That's not just another religious practice. This is a deeply spiritual invitation to take all of Jesus in. And in Luke's account of this moment, you know, the different gospel accounts record this Last Supper moment that we just read about a second ago. You don't need to turn there, but I, there's language that I bet you're familiar with if you've been around church for a little while. Luke chapter 22 says this in verse 19. Jesus, after serving them these elements of bread and cup, says this. He says, do this in what? Do this in remembrance of me. When's the last time you used the word remembrance? Probably not that. You can't even remember it last time you used it, right? But what is he basically saying is, remember me by, by doing this, right? Do this in remembrance of me. And every time we serve communion out here, we do that. We take the bread, we say, do this in remembrance of me. We take the cup, do this in remembrance of me. This is where it actually comes from. But what I actually want you to pay attention to is what comes at the beginning of that invitation. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, think about this in remembrance of me. He doesn't say, reflect on this in remembrance of me. Do a word study on this in remembrance of me. What does Jesus invite us to do? Do it. it. To actually do it. To actually physically take this, to eat this bread, to drink this cup, to get him inside of us physically, regularly, to become a part of the body and the lifeblood of Jesus, to become his hands and his feet and his mouth in this world, to let that free-flowing forgiveness that flowed through him begin to flow through you. Don't think about it. Don't let it pass you by. Do this. Get me into you so that it begins to come out. I begin to come out of you. Let your heart beat like that of Jesus. I think this is what Teresa Avila some 400 years ago was getting at in reflecting on this invitation from Jesus. This is what she had to say. Listen, this this is so powerful and so good. And this is what we are invited into every time we take this bread and this cup. She says this, Christ has no body now but yours. 
He has no body now. Remember, he went up to heaven. He's gone. He has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks compassion into the world. Not looks for compassion in the world. Looks compassion into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. That is what we are invited to do when we remember what he has done for you and me. And even that language, I think we can, we can play around with a little bit. Yes, we're invited to do this as we remember him. But I think what Jesus was actually getting at is that communion is our invitation to not only remember Christ, but to become remembered, to remember yourself to Christ. Become a remember yourself to Christ. Like actually reattach yourself to Christ. Realign yourself to Christ. Recenter yourself in Christ. Remember, become a part of his body and his blood in this world. Become a part of his global body in this world. That's what, that's what we get invited to do. Not just a little religious ceremony, but to remember ourselves to Christ. And so I thought it'd be good for us to actually do just that today, to get all of God into all that we've got going on, to make the spiritual physical and the physical spiritual, to actually see the life of Jesus begin to be lived out of you more and more in your everyday life. So we have two homework assignments this week. It's a two-parter, but the first one you're going to get done in like two minutes, okay? The one I want you to maybe pay attention to or to jot down is a prayer that I would love to invite our whole church to pray that kind of sums up this teaching of Jesus. And it's a simple, simple, simple prayer, but it has massive implications for your life. Simple prayer. You might want to jot this down. We'll share it on social, but I don't want you to miss it. This is the prayer. God, this is it. This is a small prayer. God, all of you in all of me. All of you in all of me. All of your grace, all of your forgiveness, all of your freedom, all of your love, all of your compassion, all of your joy, all of your hope, all of your calling, all of who you are in all of me. God, I, I don't want to have a single part of my life that I'm hiding from you, that I'm trying to keep from you. I want to take you in. And if it means that I have to physically do that daily, I'll do that too. So that I'm reminded of what you have actually done for me and inviting me into. That's our prayer. That's part two of the homework assignment. Part one is something we're going to do right now. And I'm going to ask our amazing host team to come forward. They're going to actually pass out the elements of bread and of cup. And I just want to say this. The bread, just so you know, is gluten-free bread. So everyone gets to take that. The cup is not wine because that would be way too expensive. And so it is juice. Sorry, it is juice. But we want you to take these elements. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just, can you just hold on to them for a moment? Just take the bread and hold on to it. Just take the cup and hold on to it. For some of us, you've been doing this all of your life. And maybe today it's just different. You just go, wait a second. I want to, I want to get what you 
what you have for me, Jesus. I want to get what you were trying to get across when you talked about this in such stark language and imagery. I want all of you in all of me. Thank you for this invitation. For some of you who are brand new to communion, all you have to do is follow my instructions. Just hold the bread and you hold the cup, and this really is an invitation for you to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I want all of you in all of me. And as our team are passing out the elements, I love just the what's happening now is that we hand it to each other, we share it with each other. That's like we would do if we were all at a table together. We just pass it down and we share it with each other. And I feel like I need to say um, something that, for, there are some folks here who need to hear this. As we come to this table right now, as we come to the, to the bread and to the cup, my hunch is that there are some folks here today who are thinking, I don't deserve this. This isn't for me. I, I don't, like if you knew what I had done, and if God knew, and I guess he kind of does, but let's just pretend he doesn't. If God knew what I've done, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to be at this table. You don't know what I did this weekend. You don't know what I've done in my life. And maybe there have been times where we've done this practice before and you just let it pass because you're like, no, 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 I'm not, I don't deserve this for all the million reasons that you have in your head. Can I just lovingly remind you that at that table where Jesus served his friends and followers, he served communion to Judas, the one who would betray him. Now, would you do that? You know, the elements are going down and gets to Judas. They go, ah, oh, not so fast, Judas, not for you. Because Jesus knew what he was about to do. He even said, he's like, I know what you're about to do. But you're so welcome at this table. Still served in communion. In fact, another text tells us that before he even got to serve in the communion, he washed each of their feet, took the form of a servant, knowing that he would be betrayed. Knowing that, that Peter, the one who was kind of like first up, first out of the boat to follow Jesus, that Peter would actually deny that he even knew Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. He would deny that he even knew Jesus, and yet Jesus serves him as well. and says, no, 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 there's a seat for you at the table. In fact, all but one of his disciples, John, was the only one to stay and stand with him at the cross. The rest of them abandoned him went and hid for their own safety, their own lives. Friend, what makes you think that you're not worthy to sit at this table? What could you possibly have done that is greater than God's love for you, that is greater than this invitation of Jesus, his own body broken for you, his own blood poured out for you, that you don't deserve to sit at this table? You are invited, you're welcomed, and you're wanted as you are. And the invitation from Jesus is, take this life in, all of me, in all of you, and then it's going to begin to live out of you. What a powerful invitation. And so I thought we could take these elements, maybe with just a more open and available heart and life to Jesus today. So let's take that bread that Jesus talked about, you know, represents his body, but there's something more than physical here. There's a spiritual truth in this. And when we take this bread, we're not just remembering, we are remembering ourselves to him. His body broken and available for you and me. So let's take this bread to remember ourselves to him.
Remember the text tells us in the same way he took that cup. And he said, this is the new covenant, new wine. Covers every sin, every single person, poured out fully and freely for you. And every time you take this in and let it into your system, you're letting the lifeblood of Jesus begin to flow through your veins and in and out of your everyday life. What a powerful invitation we've been given. So let's take the cup together to remember ourselves to him. And I would love to pray that prayer that we just talked about for our homework this week over you. We just participated in it. I'd love to pray it over you. So can you stand? And we're going to pray. And you know what's, what's so fun, what I love about this passage in Mark 14, it's the reason why I chose to teach from it today, is because at the end of, of Mark 14 and verse 26, it says this, after this, after Jesus had washed their feet, after he'd served them the bread and the cup, listen to what they did. It says that they had sung a hymn together, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus would be tested and tried and eventually arrested. But I love that moment. This is perhaps his most critical hour. This is right before everything starts to move into motion, the, the plan that God had ordained from the beginning of the world. Jesus says, hold up, before, before I even face my betrayer, before I face the one who denies me, before I face what lies ahead of me, before I stand in the face of mockers and enemies, can we just sing together? Can we just worship in the face of it? What? What a powerful, what a leader. What a savior. And what a gift and invitation we have. Because in a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. We're going to sing a hymn together like Jesus did with those first followers of his. And I'd love to pray for us. And I want to invite you to sing from your guts. Sing from that truest place. Let it flow out of you. So let me pray for us. Jesus, that's what we are after, all of you and all of me, all of you and all of us. That's a work. We can't do that without you, but we can open ourselves up to you. We can make ourselves available to you like you made yourself available to us. All of you and all of me, all of you and all of us, all of you and every brother and sister here, thank you that you did not hold back anything from us. Your body, your blood, you meant what you said, that for us to get you into our lives, we've got to take you in. And so thank you for this spiritual, physical, physical, spiritual thing that you've given us with bread and body and cup and blood and help us to not only get it, but for it to get its way into our lives and out of our lives. Jesus, we just cannot, we cannot get enough of you. And there aren't enough words to just, to express our love for you. And so just help us as we sing this song together like you taught us to do, to just declare our love to you. That's all we want to do in this moment. So it's in your name that we pray and we sing and remember ourselves to you. Amen.